how it is awesome to watch. It's awesome to get out of your way. And, and we are always better when we do that. Father, we ask that you would enable us to get out of your way again this morning. Help us to have ears to hear from your word uh, in this um, unmatched gift of your word that we would be able to uh, hear what you have for us today and be able to apply it to our lives in all things that you would be glorified. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Richard Dick. Morning, men. Boy, that's intimidating. Now, of course, Dewey denigrates, you know, that this is Star Wars Day about the National Day of Prayer. I certainly didn't know it was Star Wars Day, but somebody did. So, so I will just point that out. Could you roll to the next slide, Doctor? There we go. Okay, so Philippians is a great book to teach in because Paul loved to write it so much, because he loved the people so much. Um, and we see more of that here. So I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. They all look after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but Timothy's worth you know how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly shall become myself also. Modified the wording a little bit there at the end. Um, so I hope in the Lord Jesus. Often we hear, and frankly we hear it in Christian circles, that this will happen, that I will do this. I'm assured that this is going to come out the way, it, the way I want it to. That's not Paul's perspective here. He has a desire for something, but he was submissive to Christ's ordering in his life. And so must we be. Well, we are ultimately submissive whether we want to be or not, because that's how life will turn out, is how Christ orders it for us. He incorporates even our bad choices in his ultimate and correct uh, desire to see Christ built in us. We can cooperate with the process or otherwise but we will end up at the same place that he will bring to completion that work that he has begun in us. Uh, Jesus is both Lord and Savior. As Lord, the final decision, regardless of my plans and regardless of my actions, will be his. But the future is still the future. It's known to God. It's only dimly suspected by us. So Paul communicates again, I, so that I may be cheered by news of you, Paul didn't look at life through rose-colored glasses. He got sad. He got discouraged. He got seriously hurt, uh, physically especially, but also emotionally. Um, so he needed to be cheered. The word that's that's uh, used there is, and we'll see actually the root. The root is psycho. You know, we got our psychiatrist, psycho, all that stuff from it. We'll see that several times in this passage. So... And we also have several words that appear only here, nowhere else in the New Testament. And this is one of them. So it's uh, pretty much the word as translated, to be of good courage, to be of cheerful spirit. So I want to be cheered by news of you. One of the things that I 
want to challenge us with is think about those who are in authority over us. Uh, men like Michael, like Marty, like Darren. They're just like Paul. There are times when they need to be cheered, when they need to be encouraged, maybe when they need to be exhorted. Um, we need to be available to God to play those parts in their lives. It isn't like they're on a, uh, a higher plane, a different plane from us. They're people like we are. Uh, and their lives have just as many crises as ours do. So we need to be sensitive to them. To them. They need to be open to us. They need to let us know how they're doing. But we need to be sensitive to them to be available to God, to be used by you to do things like cheer. So... So verse 20, I have no one like him, Timothy, who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. Timothy's an interesting guy. <clears throat> if you look at the references to him throughout the New Testament, I give a bunch of them here to you. Um, he was mostly raised by his mother and grandmother in terms of his spiritual influences. He appeared to be pretty timid by nature. Paul tells others, he tells the Corinthians, okay, don't, don't make him afraid, so don't make him fear. And he tells Timothy, in the last letter Paul, we have of Paul's, he tells Timothy that the spirit within him is not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. My guess is, for type A's in the audience, you might find Timothy initially hard to like. Sort of one of those guys... You know, you might use the word mama's boy, perhaps. A, a sort of shy um, individual. But Paul saw below, beneath that exterior, and came alongside him and saw God, what God could do with that man. And there are people out here, and I told Rich I was going to do this, there are people out here who do that, like Rich Rollison and others, who see in young people what God can do with them. Gordon's another one with the 5th and 6th graders, who invest in younger people. And we need to be alert for that. We need to be a couple things. I need to be, I need to avoid being put off by externals and to look beneath to see the more valuable characteristics within. Um, I also need to be avoid being dazzled by externals to say that somebody who's exceptionally talented or, or handsome like me, uh, that that why are you laughing? I'm really. Oh, well, whatever. So, so I need to be, again, to look beneath the surface and to, to invest in younger, younger spiritually, younger physically, both uh, people around me. So, I, again, uh, exhorts the Corinthians not to cause him to fear, exhorts Timothy not to, be, uh, not to be timid. I need to be careful not to prejudge or reject others based on externals. And I need to be concerned for others regardless of their response. That doesn't mean I need to foist myself on them if there's no natural connection. But if I see somebody, you know, if I see a ship heading for the shoals, I can't just watch them do it. It doesn't mean I'm the one who necessarily has to intervene, but I may need to call others alongside. It's like uh, John Donne, that every man's death diminishes me. So, and no man is an island. That's true of us, that we are not, each of us is, in, is not independent of each other. 
that we need to be alert for those, and particularly for us here in the body. I mean, what did Christ say? How do people know we're his? By we care for one another, by our love for one another. So, and I was just alerted to this again, reminded of this again uh, today or yesterday, that, uh, set that back to Sunday, um, but I need to be willing to get out of my routine and be drawn to something else to meet the needs of someone who is headed for shoal water. So, and you're the same. Again, it may not be me, but I need to be available and alert. They all look after their own interests. And the way that's translated, the word interests is not really in there. It's really they all look after themselves. Fortunately, I'm not guilty of that. But for those of you who are, uh, just a caution. This is not a commendation. Okay? Um, I need to be genuinely anxious for the affairs of others and for their needs. Sorry, I'm trying to give you a lot of stuff in here. When he says in 20, I have no one like him, that's another one of those words that appears only there. What the word really says is, I have no one of equal soul. I have no one whose spirit, whose soul is large enough like Timothy. And remember, this was the mama's boy. This was the guy who who was scared a lot. But he also had a heart big enough that Paul would say, and Paul's seen a lot of people, and Paul has a great soul. He says, I don't have anybody like him who is that expansive of soul to give himself wholeheartedly for your interests. And I think Paul, or God, Holy Spirit through Paul, calls us to be open to be that person as well. Genuinely anxious. Well, Christians were not supposed to be anxious. So this must be unscriptural. Paul's misbehaving. No, that's not not what he says. Paul himself, in 2 Corinthians, and I'll give you the reference there, is genuinely anxious for the churches. He talks about the burden that God put on him for the churches. We need to not be anxious for ourselves, because God has that in hand. But he does want us to be concerned for others, particularly those in the church. Paul was deeply burdened uh, for others and trusted God for himself. And that word to care for up in there, uh, who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare, that word there means to be distracted, care to the point of being distracted. And that was Timothy's attitude toward other people, that it was almost like, you're walking down the street and you see somebody over here and you can't get to the donut shop because you've got to go over and talk to this guy because he needs something. And that's that kind of, of deep and anxious and genuine care that Paul saw in Timothy and saw Timothy work out. And this word genuinely, The word is actually used, it means pretty much faithfully or sincerely, as you would expect. But it also, one of the commentators talks about, it's almost like it's a birthright. And the way I look at that is, it's like I'm concerned for my children. 
and I need to let God build in me that depth and breadth of concern for other people, that to a similar degree, probably not ever quite getting there, but I need to be deeply concerned for others, almost as a birthright. So concerned for my family, I need to be also concerned for others. It doesn't mean I, I worry. It doesn't mean I, I don't trust God with their, their uh, welfare. It doesn't mean that I hold myself responsible for the outcomes. Because the outcome's not in my hands, it's in God's. Their decisions are not in my hands. And this is true, certainly, I found it to be true for my own children. Their decisions are not in my hands. My kids are all adults, they make their own decisions. And the outcomes are not mine to determine. It doesn't stop me from being concerned, similarly for every dad in here. But we need to let God build in that, that heart for people that it's never going to be there that same degree, but, but it may be, and it may be, certainly should be headed in that direction that God builds in us a heart for other people. So 21, they all look after their own interests, not those of Christ. So look at the two together. I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. And then in 21, Paul talks about being anxious for the interests of Jesus Christ. So what are the interests of Jesus Christ? The interests of other people. So how do I, this is not completely, these are not all the interests of Christ, but if I ask how do I know when I'm being anxious for the interests of Christ, well, one of the ways is I'm anxious for the interests of others. I'm anxious to see them brought to maturity in Christ. Like Paul says of himself in Colossians 1 at the end of it, he talks about the fact that him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man that I may present every man mature in Christ. For this I toil, striving for the, all the, with all the energy God mightily inspires within me. That was what Paul gave his life to. Um, and I need to let God build that same motivation, that same desire, similar desire in me. But Timothy, Timothy's worth, you know, how as a son with a father, he has served me with me in the gospel. Paul taught and modeled to him what it meant to be a man of God. Paul's last recorded communication was his exhortation to his son in the faith. Second Timothy was the last thing we know of that Paul wrote. And how did he spend that letter? He spent that letter talking to the man whom he had raised as a son with a father. This is one of the things that I regret about myself is I don't see that passing on a legacy as much with me and my sons as I should. So particularly for you with younger children, don't miss an opportunity. Now, they have to be open to it, and I understand that. But... Um, don't miss an opportunity to pass that legacy on to let God create that bond and form that, that relationship uh, to where you will be able to write a similar letter to your sons if God opens the door. Also note something else, though. Timothy's worth you know. If you look at the letters in the Old Testament, or the New Testament, rather, and you compare two things, when Paul writes the letter to Titus, 
he talks about sending Titus to Crete. You may remember if, when you've read through Titus, he talks about that the Cretans, perhaps where we get our name Cretan from, uh, I don't know that, but uh, the Cretans are a pretty tough lot. So um, they are rough folks. Paul doesn't send Timothy to Crete. Don't know why exactly, but I suspect that part of it was Timothy wasn't the right guy to go to Crete. A bunch of rough customers. So he takes sort of the burly, I don't know if Titus was burly or not, but takes the burly Titus and sends him to Crete because he knew whom he should use for various functions. Each of us is not equally gifted to serve in every function. I need, as I deal with subordinates, as I deal with my children, to recognize eh, probably not the right job for Bob. I'll send Sarah instead, something like that. But Paul does send Timothy to Corinth, also not a great place in terms of both the people and what they were struggling with and the environment. But he knew that Timothy was equipped to flourish in that environment, and so he sent him there. Again, I wouldn't put too much on it because I don't know the circumstances behind the personnel assignments uh, of those days that, day that Paul used, but it is something for us to bear in mind um, as we task others or give others opportunities that we need to be wary of moving outside their gifting and abilities. That word worth is talks about sort of a proof specimen. If you think of, um, let's say that you, you own a company and you're, you're a, a metal former and you'll take a, a sample of metal and you'll mail it to the customer because as a specimen, as a proof specimen, saying, okay, this is what I'm going to give you. Check it, make sure the composition, the malleability, the strength, uh, the hardness is what you want. That was Timothy. He was a, a specimen of proven worth. Paul had seen him in the fire and seen what God would do with him. So I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Again, Paul wasn't assuming that God was going to do X or Y. Even at the end of his life, when things are pretty dark, and Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm at the point of being sacrificed. He knew that sovereignty was in the hand of God. God could have caused an earthquake in Rome and brought him out of prison if he'd chosen to. But Paul saw that that probably wasn't going to be the case. He was going to get to go home uh, very soon. Here, though, he doesn't know which way it's going to go. I hope that I'll be able to see you too, as he says in 24. But he's apparently in prison, whether he's in prison in Ephesus or in prison in Rome. I mean, Paul had such a selection to choose from. He got to know prisons pretty well. Um, we don't know which one he would recommend on TripAdvisor. But um, he was at the point of saying, okay, it could go well and I could be released. It could go poorly and I could, still, I could continue here standing in this flea-bitten prison, standing next to this guard. But I'm hoping that it will go this way. And oh, by the way, I'm so concerned about you that I'm going to take these two guys, Timothy and what, you'll, what Alec will talk about next week, Epaphroditus, these two people who are great encouragements to me, extremely valuable to me, I'm going to send both of them to you. Paul cared so much about the Philippians that he was going to take these two men 
who were such a blessing to him and send them, send them to them. Epaphroditus probably wouldn't come back because Epaphroditus was a Philippian. Timothy would. He would just bring him news, bring, bring Paul news of how the Philippian church was doing. Okay, could you flip to the questions? <clears throat> so what does it look like for me to be genuinely anxious for the welfare of others? Think about a time, probably a recent one, when God made you genuinely anxious for the welfare of something else, someone else. Not worried, but genuinely concerned. Is there someone, thinking about Paul with Timothy, is there someone whose worth I need to affirm, perhaps to himself or herself, or perhaps to others, to say, you know, don't sell this guy short. There's much more there than meets the eye. And then lastly, how have I given my best to others recently? What opportunity might I have to do that now? Okay, to your table.